broken and redeemed. We could do without the former, but we want the latter. And we often feel like the latter can only exist if the former is gone. You can't be both broken and redeemed, right? This was something that really struck me as I talked to John Jarman, who authored the book, Broken and Redeemed. And that choice of wording, that the broken and the redeemed existed together, really sat with me. Because if we're honest, we want to eliminate all brokenness. We just want the redemption. And yet God often invites us to be redeemed while still broken to experience redemption while brokenness exists as well. We've seen it in our conversations about healing and questioning why didn't God miraculously heal every single situation? Why did God allow hardship to continue? Why did God allow the brokenness? The reality is God knows a lot better than we do what he is capable of and what he is after. You're listening to episode 108 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the opportunity for John and I to sit together and to talk and for John to share his story, for me to hear his story. But more importantly, we look forward to seeing what you do beyond that, because we know what it is we're bringing to the table, but we don't know what you might bring to the table. And we want to be open to that. So guide our words, guide our thoughts, protect us from ourselves. And above all, be glorified by this time. And we pray that we would be able to recognize you in it, but also know with confidence that you are going to be doing something abundantly more with this. I also pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. 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 Well, John, I'm excited to hear your story. We were just talking a moment ago about how I actually don't know very much, which is my favorite way to go into these conversations because I get to be you know, gripped by the story and surprised by it. <laughs> Before we jump in, one thing that I like to do with guests is give them an opportunity to share in a brief and fun way who they are. And the fun way comes in that I create these random prompts. So here's the prompt that came in my mind for you as I was making some coffee before we got on here to record. Okay. I am James Bond, and I have just received one of those spy documents that are giving me information on someone that I need to know. What we know about these things is it's going to self-destruct in like 10 seconds after I read it. So it's got to be short enough that I can get the information I need, but then that's it. It's gone. So I am receiving this document that's going to tell me about John. What does this spy document say about you before it self-destructs? It's going to say that I'm from Washington State. I was born in Arkansas, raised in Washington State, and I'm a United States Marine veteran. Went into the Marine Corps to become a PE teacher and football coach, which I did for 17 years. And then I got into personal training, which is my current position. And then by the grace of God, through counseling and some healing, I authored a book. That's the story that I'm about to share. But that's me in a nutshell. I love it. All right. The document's starting to smoke. I'm pushing it away. It self-destructs. That's it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I'm really intrigued because I know, again, very little. I know what I read on your profile is that you don't have much memory of your childhood till the age of 12, Correct. which I actually resonate with. I have big gaps in my memory and I, mm -hmm. I can pinpoint some reasons, but then you have gone through this journey of healing. I want to hear more about it. So John, 
tell me your story. Well, the story begins, I mean, you said I don't have a lot of memory from zero to 12, and, and it's because I'd lived in a very traumatic, violent home. My dad was an alcoholic and very abusive, and mm. and so that's where my counselor seems to think that the trauma comes from. But the interesting part of the story is I really didn't understand I was a victim until I was about 45 or 46, and I was in counseling with Christina that I really, truly started to look and go, oh, wow, something really happened. And so that was the interesting thing. And, you know, from the time 12 years old, what happened is I put pulled the knife out of the drawer and I told my dad if he didn't quit beating my mom, I would kill him and he left then. And so mm. from that time on, it was my mom and my three brothers. And basically, you know, I ran the streets, did whatever I wanted to survive and try to keep food on my table, so to speak. And, you know, I didn't let anybody in because I was ashamed of what I went through. You know, there's people that I went to high school that don't even know some of the story until they read the book. Mm. You know, that being said, I played around in a lot of stuff. You know, I was in drugs and selling drugs and doing a lot of other things until I joined the Marine Corps because the Holy Spirit kind of worked in me one night in 1986. And I was in a party and I looked around and I said, there's got to be more to life to this. And I walked out of the party, joined the Marine Corps two days later, and I was in boot camp two months later. And that basically saved my life. Mm -hmm. Because looking back, you know, where I'm at today, I can see that that was God's hand in that, but didn't know why I did it. It was definitely a a life-changing moment because I would have probably ended up dead or in jail from that experience. Man. And so you had this rough childhood. You had these negative things that you were getting engaged with up through high school. And then the Holy Spirit intercedes <laughs> at a very critical moment in your life. You find yourself going into the Marines. How did your life change because of that deviation in the path? Really, I, I didn't really even know Christ or accept Christ. The only thing I had in my life that even talked about Christ was when I visited my grandmother. My grandmother used to tell me that God had something special planned for me. And I think she's probably smiling from heaven mm -hmm. because of the book now, because mm -hmm. she knew this all along. But, you know, I went through the Marine Corps, graduated, started college, ended up getting married. I would go to church. I would, you know, we would go to church, but it really wasn't, there was no walk. There was no abiding. Yeah. It was showing up on Sunday. One of my former assistant coaches is a pastor and he used to call submarine Christians. They surface on Sunday and then they go back underwater for the rest of the six days. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I was doing. And, you know, there really wasn't a walk. And then I had a pattern of self-sabotage. And I think it's just because of the way I grew up. And so when I moved back home to Washington, because my mom was really ill, I started seeing that pattern. And it was the first time I really went. I can't let this happen again. And so I looked for a counselor and, and Christina was the third person I called. She was accepting patients and that was a God thing. She was the one I worked with and for 10 years we worked together. Mm -hmm. And with her and, and my spiritual mentor that I got hooked up with probably five years after that, Scotty Kessler, um, with the two of them, that's really where the freedom came from in the work and you know, trying to walk and abide by the word of the, what the scripture says and that type of stuff. But it really, truly didn't happen until November of 2016. So I was going through a tough time in my business. It was struggling. The young lady that I was dating, she was a strong Christian woman and we had a very Christian relationship. We ended up losing that relationship, you know, for reasons beyond our control. My uh, sister-in-law was in hospital, not doing well. I had already lost both my brothers. And so now my sister-in-law was passing away due to liver failure. And so here I am in the middle of this storm and I'm just like, you know, what do I do? And November 16th, I fell on the ground when I got up and I just started praying. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And I'm, and I'm giving everything to you. I'm turning over everything. And that was the tough commitment for me because I was a control 
free. I controlled every aspect of my life since I was 12. You know, to give up that control was the hardest part. You know, people go, well, it's in God's timing. And I was like, I don't like God's timing. I want John's timing. Mm -hmm. You know, and that day is when I said, I'm giving it to God and I'm going to work on his timing and do what he says. And that's where the true change started. Because that the veil was lifted, I started seeing the evidence of God where he was in my life and my past, and then what he was doing in my current situation. And then looking into the Bible and seeing scripture that talked about what I was going through, that was the key part. One of the verses that I read that morning was Romans when Paul is talking about, I want to do what's right, but I can't because the sinful nature of me. And I read that and I'm like, okay, that explains why I can't stay on track. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say it's okay, but it, it let me understand that even though I'm going to fall it from time to time, it's okay because that's just the nature of our world and our being. Later, I saw a verse in John where he talked about going through this because it's the will of God. I'm going through what I'm going through because the glory of God's going to be seen through me. And I went, okay, then I'll accept anything you place me in. And that's where I truly, truly changed. But there were still times of failure and darkness, you know, because we all have that ability to fall. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing all this. And as you're talking, you know, it's making me think about this common theme that's come up in conversations around how we want to pursue the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. We have this idea in our head of the best way that things can go. Mm -hmm. You touched on it in a few ways. Specifically, you talked about that passage. I don't understand what I'm doing because what I hate to do, I do. And what I want to do, I don't do. Right. And what we both know is what the passage doesn't say is, Everything that I want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I'm able to avoid it, right? Right. So it's like our best case scenario would be that we always do the right thing and we never do the wrong thing. But we know experientially, we know scripturally, that just isn't what happens. right? And somehow, like you said, that's okay. And it's this weird place because when we say it's okay, we're not saying that we're permitting (laughs) bad things. But it's this recognition of how things work. Right. I think the Apostle Paul hits on it in a lot of letters as well, where he makes a truth and he's like, now, I'm not saying that dot, dot, dot. But what I'm saying is, and the other thing that stood out to me about your story is underlying all this is this idea that our best case scenario is that we have a healthy childhood that we remember our childhood, Mm -hmm. that we make the good decisions throughout our lives and that there's no wasted time. And that's actually the line that I wrote down was this idea of wasted time because somebody could look at your story or you could look at your own story and say, man, it wasn't until age 45 that this stuff really started to click, Mm -hmm. that I realized the trauma in my past. It wasn't until 2016 that I really understood what giving my life to God looked like. And you could say, Man, there is so much wasted time before that. But what you made clear is that God knows what he's doing with your life and with your story. Right. And we have to release our understanding of time. What's that process been like for you? Have you had moments where you lamented with a wasted time? Have there been moments where you were able to acknowledge, no, God is in control? Looking back on it, where I'm at now in my faith and where I'm at in my walk, I don't think any of it's a waste of time because I had to go through all of that to get where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a reason for that. You know, there's a scripture verse that talks about we go through hard times. We're going through that so that we can comfort others when they go through hard times. When I read that and I really resonated on that, there's a way to look back on what I went through and say, okay, this was, there was a purpose for that. That's the part that resonates with me is knowing that I just wasn't wasting my time. I didn't go through this suffering for no reason. God had a purpose for this. And seeing that now makes it a lot easier to look back on. It also makes it easier to forgive yourself. 
the biggest thing that I had to go through, I think, was when you start walking in Christianity and walk with Christ, you have to do a self-examination. You know, you have to look at yourself and see what parts of your heart need to be cleaned. And I mean, David talks about it in Psalms, search my heart and anything that's not of you, remove. And that's the hard part of Christianity. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite authors, AJ Soboda, says that Christianity gets messier after you meet Christ <laughs> because you're forced to look at yourself. Yeah. That's one of the things that's the hard part of Christianity, but it's also the cleansing part of Christianity. So my title of my book is Broken and Redeemed. And in my mind, there's two sides of broken. You know, the brokenness of what I went through as a child and all of that tragedy but then there's the brokenness of what God puts you through to cleanse you, to humble you and to take your ego away from you. And, you know, that's the hard part for a lot of men is removing that ego mm -hmm. and becoming vulnerable and saying, I want to be humbled. That's the tough part. You know, you have to do that if you really truly want a relationship with Christ. Yeah. Well, and this is something else I wrote down, that title of your book, Broken and Redeemed, mm -hmm. because I love that it doesn't say broken to redeemed. I love that it says broken and redeemed. It's almost this tension that you exist in because somebody could think about broken to redeemed and say, well, yeah, John was broken, but now he's redeemed and taken in terms of thinking now he's fixed. Now everything's oh, better. Oh, gosh, no. But you've already <laughs> quoted, <laughs> right? And you've already <laughs> quoted scripture that says, yeah. I don't understand what I do because what I hate to mm -hmm. do, I do. And so when you say redeemed, what does that mean for you? For me, it means freedom. When Christ hung on the cross, it's the freedom that he gave because of the atonement he took for us for our sin. And we're born into that. It's nothing that we wanted. It's because of what happened in the garden. And, and so we're born into that nature. And we're meant to have a relationship with Christ, but we're born into separation. And the redemption part of it is coming back to that connection mm -hmm. with God. And as you start that, your faith deepens and the fruit of the Spirit starts to show. And then also the fact that I tell people all the time is when you grow in Christ, there's still a chance that you're going to sin, you're going to fall. What I'm saying that is, you know, your temper might come out when it shouldn't. I mean, Lord knows growing up the way I did, what I saw of life and relationship was hostile and temper. My temper was like that when I was younger. You know, and it still surfaces every now and then. But the good thing is, is as you grow in faith, that goes away. And I tell people, Christians still sin, but we sin less. And that's the way I look at it. Because whatever your strongholds were, they could come up at any time. But now as you grow in faith, you start to see the triggers. You start to see that before it happens. And then you can get into prayer and some meditation and, and hopefully not create that thought to become a temptation and then to sin. To me, that's what the redemption is. It's learning how to deal with that on a daily basis and renew your mind every morning. Yeah. What you're saying pushes against our default approach, which mm -hmm. is pursuing perfection. Yep. Right? We want to pursue perfection. We want to be perfect. We want to not do anything bad. We want to not sin anymore. And what you're saying is, actually, as long as we're in these human bodies, yep. <laughs> we're going to yep. have missteps. Yep. I mean, even the disciples, yep. after Jesus was raised, the Holy Spirit came. We can look at the book of Acts and still see moments where they made stupid decisions. Absolutely, absolutely. Paul had to reprimand Peter at yep, one point. Yep. And so I love that, that it's this invitation to accept the brokenness while not resigning to it. Right. And to accept the redemption, even if we're not yet perfect. The Apostle Paul says, not that I've achieved perfection, but I still run the race. Right. So I love that idea. And, and the thing is, is Paul's exactly right. We're not going to achieve a perfection until we're home with the Father. Mm -hmm. The sanctification is a lifelong process. 
And that's the one thing that I've learned. And going into the book a little bit to, you know, how the book came about is Christine in 2014 told me I needed to write a book. And I laughed at her mm-hmm. because I was like, no one's going to read my story. You know, there's a lot of people that have been down worse situations. So it's not a unique story, but it's my story. Yeah. I started writing it and then I kind of put it on the shelf and it really didn't start as a faith-based book. It just started as me kind of explaining what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And then my work with Christine and Scotty kind of changed it. And I started leaning towards a faith-based book. But as I did that, I was like, I don't have the knowledge. I need more knowledge. So I put the book on the shelf for about three years and I was spirit told me I needed to go to seminary school. So I enrolled in faith seminary here in mm. Tacoma. I'm eight hours shy of my master's in theology. Nice. I stopped going to school because I was running my business. And then I got another job at this golf club running their fitness center. So I didn't have a lot of time to finish it. And I'm sharing all that to come to the culmination of last February, probably around this time I was nudged by the spirit to finish the book. So I do a daily post on my social media. I call it my daily bread. And it started out as just a scripture verse from my Bible study in the morning that I was impacted by and I would share it. Now it's a series. So at the time I was working through the word promise, every Bible verse with a form of promise. And Hebrews 10.36 came up one morning and it said, when you're doing the will of God, you have to persevere so that you can get what he promised. And then about an hour later, I'm working out and I'm reading A.J. Swoboda's first book, and it's called Messy. And in the book, A.J. said, well, the Spirit didn't tell him if anybody would buy the book or read a book. It just told him he had to write the book. Mm-hmm. Well, those two things, and in less than an hour time frame, I went, okay, got the message, need to finish the book. And within four weeks, the book was done. Yeah. And so, you know, the Spirit just totally moved in it, and it was amazing. And then I was picked up in September by Morgan James Publishing, and, you know, the rest is history. I actually got an email today that I can place my first order for the books today. So Wow. Yeah. That is so exciting. Yeah. And it really is a great story around what steps of obedience in God's timing looks like, Mm -hmm. because we're the types of people that we don't really want to move forward until we know exactly what we're doing and if we can do it and where we are going. Mm -hmm. And you are given these invitations to start stepping towards it without all the information. I mean, you said that 2014 was when Christine prompted this idea, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until another two years later that you came into a deeper relationship with Christ. And then it wasn't until a year later after that, that and our human thinking would have said, once you get the idea, you roll with it and you sell it and you this, that. But it was like God wanted you to start stepping into the process, but not to just run full force because there were things that you didn't know yet, that Correct. you weren't ready for yet. He wanted you in the process, but there was so much more he wanted to do. And at the, as my pastor puts it, at the appointed time, yes. he would bring you to the next point. And Paul, I have to say that, you know, he didn't tell me what he was doing either, <laughs> you know, because in my mind, I'm going, I don't know how to write a book. You know, I'm not educated, you know, you know, I have dyslexia. Mm. So, you know, I'm going, that's a hurdle. And then also I'm a Marine, I'm a football coach and a PE teacher. I'm not an English major. <laughs> and I'm going, how am I going to write a book? So that fear factor, right. you know, is going through my head this whole time, but yet I'm going, Okay. And, you know, I didn't think about it for a little while, but one of my favorite stories about the book is in 2015, when I was dating Leah, the young lady I talked about, it's her birthday and we were getting ready to go to a Mercy Me concert. Mm -hmm. And they had just released the album that includes Dear Younger Me. At the time I went, wow, that song just really spoke to me. And I wanted to see if I could meet Bart and try to hear what inspired him to write the song. And so I got these backstage VIP passes in hopes that I would get to meet him and talk to him about it because I wanted to use that as my last chapter of the book. And that's the last chapter of my book. It's called Dear Younger Me. Wow. So I met Bart that night. I asked him what prompted him for the song. And he said, well, John, my counselor told me to write a song to my son 
as if I was writing it to my dear younger me. Mm. And I went, well, that's good, Bart, because my counselor told me to write a book and I want to use your song in my book. I said, can I have your permission? He goes, you have my permission. I just have one condition. He goes, I want a copy of the book. Mm-hmm. And so in about a month, he's going to have a copy of the book. Wow. And so in that chapter, I kind of outlined the song and how it spoke to me that first time I heard it. And then I write a letter to my dear younger self. Yeah. And so that's a pretty cool part of it. And, you know, I set the book up to be able to be used as a study guide or for a men's group because of me being a teacher, I have reflection questions and discussion questions at the end of every chapter. And, you know, my hopes is that those questions can challenge a seasoned believer to even go deeper in his faith and to really look at himself. And then, you know, for somebody who's just seeking Christ, that will allow them to have a little bit more education so that they can get their walk off to a better start. Yeah. I, you know, I truly believe that the discipleship part of our ministry, the church fails on because, you know, when you're at church and they do the altar call, you know, what are we doing with those people? How are we educating those people that just come to Christ on how to read the Bible, how to pray? Because those people don't know. I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, that was until I I met Scotty and I just happened to come across my mentor and he's huge into discipleship and thank God that he was placed in my life. Yeah. You know, you said this phrase that part of your hope is that the seasoned believer can go deeper. Mm -hmm. What I love about that is the reality is most of us in everyday life, but also especially in our faith, we engage on a very surface level. Mm -hmm. We engage on what we see, what we know, what we understand, what we see other people doing. And that's how we function. And so for a large part of your Christian life, it sounds like that's how you were operating until you were pushed to go deeper. And I had had this thought earlier, you know, you talked about this idea of submarine Christians, Mm -hmm. that they come up (laughs) out of the water on Sunday and then they go back under. Mm -hmm. But when you said that, it reminded me of how that image of a submarine was also very relevant to your life because you had this deep trauma. Mm-hmm. that existed deep under the surface that you didn't know about. And that's the trickiness of a submarine, right? Yeah. A ship could be a battleship can be above the water and have no <laughs> idea. I never thought about it like that. A battleship could have no idea that there's a threat, mm-hmm. right? Until the torpedo is on its way. Right. And that's how trauma can impact Absolutely. us. You know, you have 12 lost years in your memory. And then you had these other traumas that were impacting your life that you didn't fully understand, sometimes didn't recognize until you got to be 45 years old and you're like, oh man. And I had an experience like that not too long ago where I realized something that had happened 20 years prior had been deeply affecting me. Mm -hmm. It's funny, like I was cognizantly on a surface level aware, but once I got deeper and I was able to understand on a deeper level what was actually going on, how it actually impacted me, it blew my mind and also revealed a lot. And so this idea of submarine trauma (laughs) really intrigues me. You know, I want to ask this question. You've been doing this hard work for a decade of looking under the surface, finding this submarine trauma, exploring where it came from, what destruction it's already caused, what destruction it could still cause and how to approach it. How are you navigating that submarine trauma now now that you're aware of it and you have a deeper faith. You know, that's the easy part of it is because I'm going to pause on that right now because I, I one of the things I want to share is as I started growing in my deeper faith, it's looking back on your transgressions, the, the pain that you caused other people mm. and seeking them people out to ask for forgiveness because that's something that I think that you need to do because that doesn't take away the event, but it allows not only the people you affected, but yourself to release the captivity of the event, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and, and that goes both ways. If somebody caused a sin against you or you sinned against someone, you know, the forgiveness aspect of 
is so critical. And, you know, I think that's important for your listeners to understand that that is one of the true steps to getting the freedom. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, the easy part now for me is I don't worry as much, you know, because I know God's in control and I trust that. Where before I'd always question it a little bit. Now it's the utmost trust because I've seen him do things in my life since I gave up control to where I can't doubt that he's going to do what's right and do what's right for me. It might not be what I want, but it's what his path is for me. And that's the freedom. And I think the subtitle of the book, Finding Freedom Through Complete Surrender. And that's really what this is, is, you know, I've found that freedom to where I don't worry. You know, I let things just go and I pray about them and, you know, I see what he does and, and then I take the next step wherever he wants me to go. So, you know, that's how I would answer that question. It, to me, it's the easy part now because I just trust. Yeah, I trust in him and I give it all to him and I pray. Yeah, And, I, you know, I'm in the scripture. The thing I do is I'm up at 3.30 to 4 every morning and I'm reading and praying for about an hour before I go to work. Wow. That's what keeps me grounded and that's what keeps me going. That avenue is going to change a little bit because I get to be able to go preach the gospel or speak the gospel. You know, when I started seminary, somebody goes, you're going to be a pastor? And I'm like, well, it's just up to God. You know, I'm doing it for my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, five years ago, if you would said, hey, John, you're going to be speaking the gospel, I would have laughed at you. Right. And having the faith in God and, you know, just through this whole book process, through my closing of my business, because I lost my business during COVID. You know, for me, COVID was a blessing. I lost my business, yes, but I was able to get through that without too much of a loss. There's a debt I'm still paying off, but God's providing for it. Mm -hmm. I was given another job. I work less hours. I got less stress and I wrote a book. I mean, and so how do you not look at that in today's world of COVID and go, wow, God is good. Yeah. And he was good to me. And it, when you see that, then it's easy to trust, yeah. you know, and, and I think people don't see sometimes because they still have bitterness, they still have shame and guilt, or they haven't done the forgiveness part of it. You know, you've really got to search your soul to get that veil removed so you can have that true relationship with God. Yeah. And that's just my opinion. I mean, yeah. again, I'm no expert, yep. so that's just my life experience. I mean, you got a few more months before you get the degree <laughs> and then you're an expert. <laughs> no, I won't even say I'm an expert then. So. <laughs> So, you know, I still sit in awe of the people who are more mature of me. So, yeah, which is an important place for us to be that humility. And part of that humility comes in releasing control, releasing yep. understanding, which yep. brings us back to some of the things that we've been saying, because our default is we don't want to make any missteps. Right. We don't want to be off track. We want to be as close to perfect as possible. And what I love about the subtitle of your book is it emphasizes the answer, which is surrender. Yep. I mean, you take a passage like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Mm -hmm. But then it says, and in all your ways, submit to him yep. and he will keep your path straight. We like verse five. Sure. Yeah, I'll trust God. Yep. I'm not going to lean on my understanding because I'm not perfect. But that submit piece, yep. you know, this is the same thing we see with people who came to Jesus and said, look, I'm keeping all the commands. Right. Am I going to get eternal life? I'm as close to perfect as you can be. So I'm good. Right. And Jesus would throw this one extra thing at them. Mm -hmm. Follow me. Right. In other words, submit to me. Submit. I want yeah. you to leave your life, leave your ways of living and come live the crazy life that I'm living. Yeah. And people did not want to submit to that. Right. Because to submit to that involved loss, loss of wealth, <laughs> rest of your reputation so much. Yeah. And, th and that's what I would say on that is, you know, Jesus said you have to surrender your life. And I think that's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Part of my sacrifice is getting up at 3.30 in the morning and, and staying in the word and prayer. 
I've had people ask me, they, how do you do that and get through the day? And I'm like, I give God that time. He gives me the energy. Yeah. You know, there's some friends that I probably ran around with six, seven years ago that we're not friends anymore because of the path that I'm on. And so there is sacrifice. And I think it's different for everybody. And you have to be willing to let those things go that aren't godlike in wherever he takes you. And that's really tough for some people because they don't want to give up and say that they're going to totally listen to God. And I learned that from my mentor because he called me about three years ago and he goes, John, I'm moving to Nebraska. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, the spirit told me I needed to go to Nebraska. And I mean, he was packed up and on his way because mm -hmm. that's what the spirit told him. And I just went, wow, that right there is biting by what you're hearing. Yeah. Well, and when we think of sacrifice, what's interesting is sacrifice seems the hardest when we're only looking from our current vantage point, Right. when we're only looking at what we're losing now, mm -hmm. then we could look and say, well, God's cruel. Why would he take away good things, right? That's how we can often think about things. Does God not want me to have fun? Does God not want me to have the things that I want, the desires of my heart? And it's not that God's being cruel. No. It's that God sees it from a broader vantage point. Yeah, you can still have, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> right. And he's very much aware of what all of this is costing us. But the reason he's not been out of shape about it is he sees the abundantly yep. more yep. that it's going to allow us for. It's like somebody who gives up watching Netflix all day because they want to get into better shape. Right. They want to look out for their health. And so they give up that hour mm -hmm. or whatever to go and exercise. Right? right. Somebody could look at it on the front end and say, well, you're missing out on all these shows. But the person who's been at it for six months and suddenly feels healthier, yep, yep. suddenly their heart is healthier, suddenly they have more energy, they have more joy in life. They don't see that lost Netflix show right. as a loss anymore. Right. They recognize what they have gained. And so, again, it's that submission. Yep. And what it actually brings us to is not just a submission to give up stuff, but a submission to our understanding. Because here's what we do. We're talking about this idea of redemption. But the reality is, is too often in our lives, we will say the phrase in our mind, I don't know how God could redeem this situation. I don't know how God could redeem me. Right. I don't know how God could redeem this relationship because we're looking at it as we understand those things now and they are too broken or there's too much sin or they're too off track. So I don't know how God could redeem it. Therefore, it's unredeemable. When God is looking at what he wants to redeem and saying, no, I can redeem this right now. <laughs> I am God. Right. And so part of the submission is saying, basically, it comes back to that verse in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It doesn't mean pretend like you don't have understanding. It's saying, here's how I understand it. And I am actively choosing to trust God instead, even though I don't understand it. I'm choosing to trust and submit. And I think this is so important for the person who feels like they are unredeemable because it's keeping them from actually taking a step towards God because there's no way, no way God could or would want to. You know, that's, that's where I was a lot. You know, when I first started finding Christ, you know, I was like, there's no way I, I can't be a Christian because of my mess, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's so incorrect because, you know, that's like saying, I'm going to go to the doctor after I get healthy, you know? And so it's that freedom of knowing that no matter how broken, no matter how damaged or no matter what you went through, he's waiting with open arms for us. And mm -hmm. we just have to open the door. There's a quote by AJ Swoboda that's actually on the homepage of my website. Mm-hmm. God made us without our permission, but will not save us without our consent. We have to be open to being healed and saved. That says a lot right there because we have to be open to that. Mm -hmm. 
And if we're not, then that can cause a lot of problems because you have to be open to hear his word and to be willing to let him in. For me, the biggest thing was the forgiveness part of it, the humbling, you know, letting down the guard and then giving up that control because that's what, for me, released the veil. And so I could start seeing things clear and hearing the voice of God better and that type of stuff. And it could be different for everybody, but you have to be willing to be saved. Yeah. That was an idea that came up in a conversation a few episodes ago with someone named Jana. Midway through the conversation, the theme of come as you are just became very clear. And we realized that we may be longing for God to heal certain things in our lives, but it might not be happening because we're refusing to come to him. Yep. Sometimes we are aware of that. Sometimes we're not aware of it, but we are resistant to present ourselves as we are because God won't accept us. I'll piggyback on what you're saying is I think that he takes apart you in a way that he wants to. Mm -hmm. So he's going to remove certain things before he removes other things, I think. And you might not think that the order he's doing it in is the right way. And so you got to learn to let that go. One of the chapters in my book, I talk about the crucifixion. And if you've ever researched crucifixion, it's a very slow and agonizing death. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was chosen because our old self is going to die slow. And I think on the cross, he was trying to show us that we're going to die with him, but it's a slow death. And then we're going to be reborn. And so we've got to understand that you always hear about the story that this person converted and he just, boom, never sinned again, da, da, da. And, you know, those are very few and far between. When you come to Christ, your old self is still there and your tendencies and your behaviors. That's where Paul says you got to renew your mind. Mm -hmm. You got to renew your mind and heart. And it has to be a daily renewance as you start your walk because, you know, your old self is going to attack you and the flesh is going to attack because you're not used to living in the word. Yeah. And so it takes a while for you to do that. And the length of time is dependent on the person and their depth of relationship, I think. Yeah. When you touched on something so important that we don't actually know what it is that God is trying to accomplish within us and around us, Mm -hmm. but we assume we know what God should do in our lives Mm -hmm. and we know what God should do around us. And as you were talking about Jesus on the cross and the crucifixion and even the things that happened before it, correct? you know, if what happened to Jesus had been swift, that they came to the garden and cut him down on the spot. There would have been no time for the disciples to have to wrestle with Jesus actually existing to accomplish something beyond their understanding. That's it. He's dead. And then maybe he rises up right after. But instead, what we find is this very long, drawn out thing. He is arrested. He is beaten. He is put on trial. He has to walk through the streets. He's put up on a cross. He's on the cross for hours. Mm -hmm. Then when he dies, he's in the tomb for days, right? This long, long process where I imagine there had to be moments, so many moments where the disciples were like, okay, it's going to happen soon. At some point, he's suddenly just going to break free, break free from the guards or, okay, he's about to prove them wrong during this trial. Okay. Okay. Surely now. He's going to stand up and say, you can't take me to the cross. Okay, surely now he's going to come off the cross. Like, okay, surely now, surely now, because they were anticipating what they believed should happen. Correct. This is the invitation in our lives is that's what holds us back is we are constantly anticipating what should happen, what needs to happen Mm -hmm. instead of just saying, all right, God, here I am. Yep. As I am, I don't know what you have in store, but I am here and even though I'm not ready, I'm ready. <laughs> so, And I will say this, because you asked the question, you know, what is freedom? 
And that's exactly what I've done, you know, getting this book done. And in the next phase, as I move into going and speaking and all that stuff, it's just like, you know, wherever you send me, I will go. Yeah. You know, I'm not even worried about it. Matter of fact, I'm excited about it to see where I end up yeah. and looking forward to it, you know, and I know there's going to be some hard times, but he's going to protect me and he's going to get me through. But it's that type of freedom that I search for and I want others to experience. Yeah. When you also pointed out something really valuable in what the author shared, that he had this sense that he was supposed to write the book, even if nobody read it. I can't remember how you right. worded it, but there's this idea that on a human level, you only write a book if you're going to get a lot of people to read it and you're going to make a lot of money off of it. Correct. On a spiritual level, God could say, hey, I want you to write a book and nobody's ever going to read a word of it. Yep. No one's going to ever buy a copy and it make total kingdom logical sense. Right. That's something I've had to step into with this podcast. I have had the sense often that God said essentially that I want you to do this podcast, even if not a single person ever listens to it, because I'm trying to do something you don't know about. Right. I wrote a devotional and it was the same thing. I felt like I was saying to put it out there, even if no one ever reads it. Right. And so I want to encourage you and just affirm that I love how much what you've done has been steps of faith, because like you mentioned, with dyslexia, with the questions around your life, with all these things, there's plenty of reasons why you would have never have written a book. Mm -hmm. But because you felt that nudge from God, you said, okay, right. I'm going to do this. Right. <laughs> and then you right. just go in step by step. 2014, 2016, 2017, February 2021. And here you are now at the next juncture where you're taking the next best step that you can see, but you don't know what's ahead. Yep. And that's okay because... What you know is ahead is God. Exactly. And so it doesn't matter how many or how few books sell, how many or how few speaking opportunities you receive, because each step towards God is going to keep you close to God. And that is enough. Right. Right. And I was asked by one publisher because I submitted this to a publisher before I got with my editor because I was going to self-publish. And they said, well, what do you want to get out of the book? And I said, if one person comes to Christ, then it's worth it. I don't mm -hmm. care how many copies are sold, but if I can take that one person and help them come to Christ, then the book is worth it. And, you know, I still stand by that. You know, I did this because it was prompted. And to share a little story, when I first got the cover of the book, the design, my name was like right in the middle of the book and in almost bigger letters than the title. It was kind of like, you know, a John Grisham novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know, John Grisham's name is what's going to attract somebody to buy the book. Uh -huh. And I looked at this book and I told my editor and my publisher, I said, look, this isn't about me. I said, you need to shrink my name, put it at the bottom of the book cover because it's about him and I need to decrease so he can increase. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I told him about the book. The biggest thing I can say about the book is it's humbling. Yeah. And that's why I said it's easy for me to take those steps now because I've seen the results. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what your listeners need to understand is they have to have just enough faith to see God's work. And then it clicks and they go, oh my gosh. There it is. Yeah. And to get to that step, it's going to take some time for some people. It took me a long time. Yeah. But here I am. You know, all of this really reshapes our understanding of what broken means, because we could take this title broken and redeemed and apply it to what we just talked about with books. Right. Because redeemed is the sense that there is a value. Right. So mm -hmm. for many authors, the value is in number of copies sold, amount of money made, mm -hmm. how big your name could be and recognized. But for you, redeemed is that even if just one person has the trajectory of their lives changed. Yes. But then that forces us to question the broken piece because the first set of authors would look at low sales and low money and low acclaim as indicators that your book is broken. 
But the reality is, is while your book could be broken in those terms, you would know, actually, it doesn't matter. Even with those pieces, I know what God's doing. And so in the same way, we could look at all the things that disqualify us from bringing value to this world, yep. from bringing glory to God. We can look at all the things that make us broken. And God actually could look at him and say, actually, what you see as disqualifiers, those things actually bring me more glory because you know it's not you. <laughs> right, right. I think this is the big invitation that I'm hearing from everything that we've talked about here is we have our understanding of what broken is and what redeemed is. And God is inviting us to trust him and his definitions of broken and redeemed and to step towards him nonetheless. Yep. And so the good news for people listening is they can actually read your story. Yes. They can have access to yep. that. So if somebody wanted to read Broken and Redeemed or learn more about you or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I have my website. It's brokenredeemed.com. You can pre-order books from there, or you can go to anywhere books are sold on any platform and pre-order. The official publication date of the book is August 16th. That's when it hits bookstores. The book is actually going to be released on eBooks on April 5th, which is a couple of weeks before Easter. So just right around the corner for that. If you order off my site, I'll ship it to you as quick as I get the books in. Because as I told you before we started the podcast, I just got confirmation that I can start ordering books today. Yeah. So that was a huge step. And you know, here's how God works. So it's the 16th of February. 16th of February is when I started rewriting in the book. Mm. And here we are one year later and I can order the book. And yeah. you know, the excitement for me is when I hold that book in my hand, yeah. you know, and, and see it. But and you know, I have social media, you know, I've, I've got Instagram, I've got Facebook. The Instagram's at John at Broken and Redeemed. Facebook is just John Jarman. Any of those means they can follow me or they can go to the website. That's great. And I always like to close out with one final simple question. Is there anything else in your heart that you want to share before we go? You know, just be vulnerable. A.W. Tozer said that when God finds you, he's going to find you alone. And I think you need to be alone in your worship and you need to be alone when you're reading and to truly find that connection because the relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship. It's a two-way street, just like a husband and wife. And you got to have the communication going both ways. And when you don't, it struggles. Do what you can to have that daily relationship and that's going to help grow your faith. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in Him, new life in Him. If we're honest, we often don't believe that redemption can exist while brokenness exists as well. For us to be redeemed means that there is fullness and wholeness, that there has been restoration, that amends have been made. But if you've been listening to these stories or even looking at your own life, you'll recognize that there are so many moments where there isn't wholeness, where that restoration hasn't happened, where amends haven't been made. And yet somehow, God can still be God, God can still be good, and God can still be present and active. We can simultaneously be broken and redeemed. The Apostle Paul demonstrated this when he said, I do not know what I do, because what I hate to do, I do, and what I want to do, I don't. And the Apostle Paul simultaneously knew he was redeemed while also experiencing the brokenness of reputation and profound brokenness around him. And even Jesus experienced brokenness that he was simultaneously redeemed while experiencing the literal breaking of his body. As long as we are holding off on trusting redemption until everything is made right, we may miss God at work in our midst. 
God present amidst the brokenness. Whatever your situation is, I want to encourage you that you can experience this, being both broken and redeemed. All that it takes is embracing the subtitle of John's book, finding freedom through complete surrender. Complete surrender is a hard one for us. It's what stands out to me most in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will set your paths straight. That word all is very heavy. All of your heart, in all of your ways, submit. This is hard and we will fail at doing this. Even Peter failed often at doing this and he gave his life to following Christ and desired to love him well. So we're not talking about perfection here, but willingness. Are you willing today to take a singular step towards trusting that God can bring redemption? Are you willing today to take a singular step at practicing submitting to him? Are you willing today to take a singular step of surrender, no matter how small that step is? Because God sees that. And that really is how the redemption exists amidst the brokenness, because the redemption isn't a matter of all the brokenness being gone, but us being in right relationship with God, us having a right understanding of who God is and what he is up to. And when that happens, we can see God in the midst of the worst of situations. So if you're willing, let God know that you acknowledge that you are broken, but you desire his redemption. Take whatever simple step of surrender you can and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. 
So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?